Welcome to Season 1, Episode 1 of Mad Logic Mysteries. I'm, you guessed it, Mad Logic. Thanks for stopping by. If you've been a fan for a couple of years, you'll notice this is a new format for us. Hence, starting over at the Episode 1 mark. Our old format was basically to take a single case, research it, and present it as both a YouTube video and an audio podcast. Our new format is one that allows you, our listeners, to submit your supernatural and or paranormal stories to us and have those stories included in our show. A while back, I sent the word out from our social media accounts, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, that we were actively looking for your story submissions. They can be submitted in any of these platforms. On YouTube, we're Mad Logic Mysteries. On Facebook, Mad Logic Mysteries, all one word. Instagram, Mad Logic Mysteries, all one word. And Twitter, which is a little different, it's at Mad Logic Mystery with no S. It's not plural. Now, the preferred method is you emailing your story to us at madlogicmysteries at gmail.com. Now, this can be an audio file of you telling your story or a video file of you telling your story or just written format. Please be 18 or older. Responses to our request were very good, but we can never have too many stories, so definitely submit yours today. As a final note, I will almost never get political on this show, but just to touch on it very briefly, let me just say that with the world being in the situation we're in right now, we could all use a healthy dose of escapism, and I just want this show to be that for as many of you who need it. So if you have suggestions for the show, please send them in. Now, let's start the show. The first submission of our new format episode comes to us via email from Dan in Kansas. He writes, Hey there, Mad Logic. I'm looking forward to your podcast. It sounds like it's going to be right up my alley. I've always been excited and intrigued by all things paranormal. Anyway, my story is this. In the fall of 2007, I bought a house here in rural Kansas. It was one of only four that had been built in this new housing development, and the other houses were still unoccupied. I was literally the only person living there and was surrounded on all sides by empty lots and construction equipment, except my backyard. My backyard was right up against a cornfield. Now, fall is my favorite time of year, what with football, bonfires, the changing of the leaves, and the cooler nights. On this particular night, I decided to make use of my back deck and fire pit. It was well after midnight, and I was sitting there by the fire in the cool night air. The corn in the field was well over six feet tall. As I sat there relaxing, some motion caught my eye from where the cornfield met my backyard, about 90 feet away. I looked down at the edge of the cornfield where the motion was, and something was moving there. It was about four and a half to five feet tall and extremely gaunt. Its body was completely black and glossy like wet ink. On its head, it had straight black hair, and its head was tilted to one side like a curious dog. It didn't seem to realize I was sitting there, either that or it was ignoring me. It walked the property line back and forth twice. I can only describe its movement as jerky, 
like trying to watch a video that's constantly stopping and restarting, like buffering. It was so frail looking that I found myself watching to make sure those sudden movements and sudden stops didn't cause it harm. As this living stick man moved, it was looking back into the cornfield, or at least I felt like it was. I had major goosebumps, and the hair on the back of my neck was at full attention, and then gradually, walking backwards to keep its gaze on the cornfield, it moved toward me. I didn't know what to do. I definitely didn't want this thing near me, but I was afraid if I moved that it would hear me and then know I was there. I thought about how it would react to my presence if it were surprised by backing into me versus it being alerted to me by the sound of my running back to the house. The damn thing walked backwards at such an angle that it was now behind the fire and I couldn't tell how close it was to me. I was frozen in place and fighting with my limbs to move. Just as I decided, screw this, and stood up to run, its face peeked around the edge of the flames. It was absolutely blood-chilling. Its eyes were bright orange. I haven't ruled out that it could have been caused by the fire reflecting in its eyes. I could see some of its teeth. It wasn't snarling or smiling, but its mouth was slightly agape like someone about to speak. I ran for the house. Now, I'm a pretty brave guy. I did two tours in Afghanistan, and this was the most scared for my life I have ever been. It felt like I covered the 50 or so feet between the pit and the house in about two seconds. I slammed the door behind me, locked it, and went to my gun safe and took out my 12-gauge shotgun. I went to the back bedroom and looked out the window at the backyard. When I looked out the window, it was already looking in my direction, like it knew exactly where I am in the house. There were no lights on in the house anywhere near that bedroom. It started to walk backwards again, towards the cornfield, its face still pointed at me. It glared at me, returning into the cornfield and vanished. I watched that spot of the cornfield for a good two hours, but I never saw it again, and I never slept that night. It left my backyard, but not my mind. Have you or any of the listeners ever heard of anything like this? I hope you use this, but if you don't, that's okay. I'm looking forward to the new format. Thank you, Dan from Kansas. Thank you, Dan. I guess by now you've realized I've used it on the show. You'll all discover this as we progress through the episode, but... I always like to approach things from a bit of a skeptical perspective. It's not that I don't believe you or anything like that. It's just that the scariest and most thought-provoking stories are those that stand up to examination and or cannot be easily explained away. Now, one theory. It would be interesting to know if you were really the only resident in in the development or if you just thought you were. Now, what I'm getting at here is, was there any chance another family could have moved in unbeknownst to you and maybe had a mischievous son or daughter who had some sort of Halloween costume and wanted to play a trick on a new unsuspecting neighbor? You mentioned it was fall, so I assume Halloween was still in the near future at that point and making costumes pretty easy to come by. And you said it yourself, this thing was at most five feet tall. 
It's a little tougher to explain the jerky movements unless maybe the kid was a hardcore method actor. If it wasn't a child having some fun, the description also sounds like a possible rake. The two problems with that explanation are that I believe the rake has been proven to have been an internet creepypasta creation and not a real creature. And I've never heard of a baby rake, which is what this sounds like it would have been if it were a legitimate cryptid. But in any case, Dan, that is a very, very creepy story. Now, I did a little research and found a story that's pretty similar to Dan's. The following story was found on liveabout.com and tells the story of an encounter Frank Simcoe had in Minnesota. Frank says, I used to work at a cheese factory on the edge of a cornfield in southwestern Minnesota. There were a series of days in the summer of 04 or 05 where it was so hot that the milk being delivered to us in trucks would evaporate before we got it. It made work easy. The dearth of milk did dine us any actual labor, but management wouldn't let us not come into work, so we would show up and mess around all shift. I was working nights at the time, it was 2 or 3 a.m., and I was out on the loading dock watching bats fly around the floodlights, because I liked being out in the cool night air. The corn was about as high as my shoulder, or about 5 foot 10. I was watching the bats, and I looked down at the edge of the cornfield, and something there was moving. It was the size of a small child and very, very skinny. It was pale, with something that looked like a head of straight black hair. It moved in a sort of jerky gait, like someone dancing the robot badly. It moved in chunks, legs, and then hips, and then torso, then shoulders, then neck, and finally head. It was looking back into the cornfield, or at least I felt like it was. I felt prickly all over. I didn't know what it was. I thought it was a heron or something at first, but it looked too much like a person. It didn't move like a person, though. Gradually, step by step, it moved toward me. Letting my curiosity better my fear, I moved toward the edge of the dock, which was raised a few feet off the ground. When I got within a few feet of the edge, the thing looked at me. I was paralyzed. I could have run, but I was stuck somewhere between terrified and intrigued. It moved. Its face still pointed at me. It ratcheted its body in that disconcerting, jerky movement toward the cornfield and went into it. I tried to watch where the field moved as it passed, but the corn remained perfectly still. I noticed that all the crickets were silent. After a few minutes, nothing happened. I stood out there for an hour, but it never came back. I never saw it again. Thanks, Frank. Now, this was a very similar case to Don's, both in detail and geography. I wonder if anyone listening to our show tonight has had any other encounters of this nature. If so, please drop us a line. Thanks again, Dan. Our next story comes to us courtesy of a friend. She agreed I could use her story, but to leave her name out. The salon I work at is truly terrifying. Okay, so I've worked at this salon for about a year now. I started last June as a receptionist while I was still going to hair school. To give you an idea of the building, it's four separate leases in a fairly old building. 
the main floor is the store. Then behind the reception desk in the store, there are stairs that go down to the salon. You go all the way through the salon and you find a cement staircase going up to the top floors. There's a clothing store there that's unrelated on the second floor. And on the third floor is the spa, as well as the corporate office space we use and the staff lounge area. For the first few months I worked there, I never really experienced anything. So this girl I used to work with, she quit several months ago unrelated to this, but she was telling me some of this shit that goes on, specifically in the spa. This is the first whiff of anything I've ever heard regarding spooky shit at my work. So there was a new girl starting and she was opening the spa. You enter the spa through the back cement staircase and the front door that the guests enter through is locked from the inside. So this girl is opening the tills and suddenly she turns and there's a slender pale woman standing there in a red swooping sun hat. She's obviously confused because the front is still locked, but she looks at the computer screen to see if there's an appointment booked super early. And as she's asking the woman what she's there for, she looks back up from the screen and the red hat woman is gone. The new girl apparently never came back after that shift. So apparently there is a spa ghost that many people have seen, heard, and felt. She wears a red hat. Since starting, I've also been working in the spa. The spa is honestly really old. It's also two floors, so there is a metal spiral staircase that you can see from the reception desk that goes down to the petty stations and waxing rooms, etc. I often have heard footsteps coming up from the stairs, only to have no one arrive at the top. The reception desk is also behind a wall, so when you're walking to the front from the back rooms, you can't see anything. The spa is not super well renovated, so sound carries a lot. I've also often heard clicks on the keyboard and mouse, then rounded the corner and no one is at the desk. To be honest, the spa lady seems really chill. I think she's just stuck. She doesn't have a negative presence. Nonetheless, she still makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up. Now let's move our focus down to the store. I usually work with my coworker slash homie, and it's a common thing for us to be standing behind the desk chatting to one another, and we will hear a single footstep behind us on the stairs, and you look behind you and no one is there. Honestly, just a lot of unexplained noises go on behind us in the staircase. Super unsettling, right? Enter COVID-19. We were closed for more than three months, which is the longest the salon slash spa has been closed since opening over 30 years ago. We reopened from the virus on May 26, 2020. Before we were actually open, all the reception team had to come in and go back through the books and call all the guests that missed appointments due to our closure. So I worked two shifts of calling people back on the second shift. I was working with my manager and this other guy as well. So anyway, we had the salon open while we were in the store because it was the only washroom. So at one point, he went downstairs to get something from the printer I heard something behind me in the stairwell, so I turned around thinking he needed a pen or something. At the same time, the phone rang, so I whipped around for like two seconds, and then the phone rang, so I whipped back around, but my manager already picked up the phone. 
I turned back around to see what he needed, and to my astonishment, he was way down in the salon at the printer. This confused the fuck out of me, because I was sure I saw his face directly behind me. For the rest of my shift, I shoved all thoughts of it out of my head. When I got home that evening, the thoughts of what I saw kept coming back. Finally, I came to the conclusion I absolutely did not see my co-worker's face. He is quite pale and blonde. The man's face I saw was dark, all over, just dark. So I drew his face. Needless to say, it's the scariest thing I've ever drawn. I've attached the photos. Anyways, over the next few days, as the salon opens, word traveled really quick of what I saw and what I drew. Until the salon manager comes up to me and starts telling a truly awful story of the son of the architect who had constructed the building. His name was Ryan Jenkins of Calgary, Alberta. His dad, the architect, was Dan Jenkins of Calgary, Alberta. Now, if you want to fact check me, go and Google his name. Anyway, it turns out Ryan had committed a horrific murder in 2009. He had married this woman in California, and through a series of events he murdered this woman and mutilated her body in an effort to have the body unidentifiable. The T is she was identified by her breast implant serial numbers. Anyway, so he actually wound up committing suicide the same week he killed her in Hope, British Columbia in a motel after he had fled across the border back to Canada. The motel manager who had found him hanging in his room described it as looking into the devil's eyes and that he would never forget that face. The salon manager tells me the story and tells me to look him up to see if I drew his face. I googled his name and I immediately exited the tab. That was the MFing face that I saw, I swear to God. So the following shift that I go in, I'm chanting this in my head that I'm not scared and I'm strong and you can't touch me. I worked alone that day and I heard many unpleasant things behind me, including a hand slapping the security gate that hangs a little low between the salon and the desk. At the end of the night, though, I mustered up the courage to say goodnight as I was leaving and heard three loud, distinct footsteps coming up the stairs, and I ran out the door. Since then, my homie slash co-worker and I have found the printer printing random computer mumbo-jumbo that it does often, like random things like hearts and filled-in smiley faces and card suits like spades. We've often wondered if it's someone trying to communicate. One day we got so many of the weird computer speak printouts and on one page, all in caps, one word, help. So yeah, my work is super haunted. I saw a murderer's face in the stairwell. For some reason he's decided this is a great place to reside since it's passing. And yeah, super duper cool. Update. There are actual photos of him in front of the building back in 1990. His dad's architecture firm used to reside in the office space that we now also rent. I didn't even get into what goes on in the staff room on the top floor. Several people have been up there and the alarm has been set off over in the office spaces. They've heard door slamming, voices, light switches clicking, and one girl has even heard whistling. I have also experienced something up there and it made me mad. To be honest, looking back, this was very foolish of us, but it was a slow day in the spa, and the girl I work with brought tarot cards. 
I think we stirred up some shit there because at the end of the day, we're in the staff room chatting. From the hallway, I heard a plastic container go flying and smack into a wall. It sounded like someone threw it hard. Needless to say, we ran. The other night, after work, my coworker and I were grabbing a drink across the street from my work at a rooftop patio. We finished at like 10 p.m. The sunset was really beautiful, so we were looking in the direction of work slash the sunset, and we just see a hallway light go on on the top floor. No other offices or hallway lights came on. It also stayed on until we paid our bill. I wonder if something new we were looking in that direction. Now you can see the photos she mentions of her drawing and the photo of the murderer on our Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram accounts. Thanks for the story. Our next story comes to us from uncomfortably close to where I live. I live on the outskirts of Columbus, Ohio, and I first saw this story on the TV series Paranormal Witness, specifically Season 2, Episode 10, entitled The Cabin. It's a werewolf story that happened in a town about 20 miles away from me called London, Ohio, because if you're going to have a werewolf, of course it's going to be in a town named London. The subjects in the story are Keith and Diane Williams. Back in 1981, Diane found this lovely house in the woods and her family moved in. One night, Diane started hearing little scampering noises outside the house. When she didn't see anything through the window, she dismissed it as a stray dog or a deer from the woods. Still, something didn't feel quite right to her. When she looked again, she saw eyes. The eyes were at a human eye level and they kept following her from one room to the next. When Keith returned home from night school, he took a flashlight out and went investigating. However, he didn't find anything. A week or two later, as Diane was doing dishes, she saw the eyes again. This time, they were dangerously close to the window. She backed slowly into another room, and the eyes followed her once again. Diane began turning off lights in the house, thinking while it might be not be able to see her, perhaps she'd be able to see them. When she returned to a window, she saw the form of a person standing there. Diane called the police. As Diane sat in the dark waiting, she could hear the person move from the front of the house to the back. The police showed up and searched, but they also couldn't find anything. Four months later, shortly after the first snow, Keith woke early and decided to get donuts for everyone. He started the car and rubbed his eyes, and when he looked in the rearview mirror, the eyes were there. Grabbing the flashlight, Keith jumped out of the car and began searching. He froze at the sight of tracks in the snow over the roof. Something was there. Keith called his friend Dennis, asking him to come over and bring his gun. Weapons in tow, Keith and Dennis began following the creature's tracks in the snow. This creature was huge and had a powerful jump. It definitely was not human. They tracked the creature for miles well after the sun came up. They reached a clearing, and in that clearing was a small cabin. The tracks led right to the back door. Dennis began banging on the walls, yelling for the creature to come out. 
Realizing how their situation appeared, two guys standing outside a cabin with guns yelling for something to come out, Keith talked Dennis into backing off. Keith called his dad, asking him to pick them up. When they explained to Keith's dad what they were doing out there, Keith's dad thought he knew who lived in that cabin, an old man who worked at the tire store. Dennis showed up the next week with an old tire to be fixed. They would at least get a look at the old man. When the manager of the tire store called the man George, they had the man's name. George came out of the shadows to get the tire, and when he locked eyes with Keith and Dennis, they knew it was him. George's eyes were an intense gold. The tire rolled back into the light when George was done with it, and the manager put the tire in the back of their truck. When Keith and Dennis looked at the tire, there were strange, rune-like markings in chalk around part of the tire like they've never seen before. Keith hesitated to tell Diane about what was happening. He suggested that she ask her sister over whenever he couldn't be there himself. Three months later, Dennis called Keith and said they were going for a ride. They drove out near George's cabin. Dennis informed him that George had died. They found a deputy sheriff they knew who took them to the cabin. You guys have got to see this. Inside the cabin, they smelled wet dogs. There were no personal items, no food, nothing. Then the deputy showed them the other room. Behind a door, they found a room with the walls covered in plate steel, held together by a riveted metal. Inside were heavy restraint chains attached to the wall. The walls were covered in scratches. Everyone was thinking werewolf, but nobody wanted to say it. That was impossible. After George's death, however, there were no more sightings at Keith and Diane's home. George reportedly was buried in an unmarked grave and his cabin was demolished. Such a strange story. If you haven't seen the Paranormal Witness episode mentioned, I very highly recommend it. You can see it on Sci-Fi On Demand. It's Season 2, Episode 10, entitled The Cabin. Something that sticks out to me about this story is the fact that when George died, they buried him somewhere in an unmarked grave. I don't know why they would do that to anyone. If anyone has any information on why that would happen in a normal environment, please let us know. London is so close to where I live that I would really like the opportunity to go over there and investigate this. But it sounds like the local authorities over there would not be very receptive. At one point, I was a deputy sheriff here in Ohio, so maybe that would give me some sort of access, but I kind of doubt that. I wonder how George, in his day-to-day -day life, explained his eyes. If he were a younger person, you could see people just writing it off as somebody finding themselves or being expressive in much of the same way people dye their hair or get tattoos. But an older guy to have eyes like that, that would be so gold as to stick out from a distance, you think you would have to explain that on a fairly regular basis. That brings us to the end of this episode. Will your story be part of our next episode? You won't know if you don't submit. The preferred submission method is you recording your story via video or audio recording 
and then emailing it to us as an attachment. This method is preferable from a sound quality and time limit standpoint. You can send audio, video, or just plain text. Our email address is madlogicmysteries at gmail.com. By submitting your story, you agree that we can use the content in upcoming episodes. As always, please be 18 or older when submitting. You can also post your story to one of our social media accounts, and please follow us on these platforms. YouTube, Mad Logic Mysteries. Facebook, Mad Logic Mysteries. Instagram, Mad Logic Mysteries. Twitter, at Mad Logic Mystery. Notice it is singular. And Reddit, at our subreddit, Mad Logic Mysteries. Mad Logic Mysteries is a product of Mad Logic Media. Mad Logic Mysteries is written and produced by me, Mad Logic. All audio and video used is done so under the production of Fair Use. The background music being heard is from Coag Music, the amazingly generous. Thanks for joining me tonight. Until next time, keep it creepy. Thank you.